welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hey, Ashley. It's a, uh, and a merry happy Advent to you. We're, we're in the thick of it. <laughs> happy Advent. We got our first snow here in Brooklyn, so that was very um, cheery. Are, are we so. calling that snow? <laughs> I mean, we didn't get any accumulation, but we had some. We had some pretty snowflakes. Okay. so I'm calling it. All right, I accept. I mean, it's not. It's not Ohio snow. Sorry. No, no, <laughs> and, but it's just. Uh, it, I'm sad because I love first snow in New York. Um, but if I it didn't know. accumulate, that's going to help my uh, uh, my jealousy. Yeah, so. no, we went straight to the phase where it's just like you have to jump over street cr- corners because there were huge puddles. So. Oh, good. No, yeah, no, no don't miss. <laughs> that. Not much to miss. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, But you don't want to miss this episode we got coming up for you today. And it's a good one. Who are we talking to this week, Ashley? (laughs) We are talking to Dom Benedict Nivikov. He is the prior of the monastery of San Benedetto in Monte in Norcia, Italy. We're talking to Dom Benedict, who we call Father Prior, um, who... And we're not just the only ones. Um, his community calls him that too, because he's the superior of the community. Um, he is the superior of a large Benedictine monastery in a place that has a deep history to the Christian monastic tradition. Right. So St. Benedict, who's known as the father of uh, Western monasticism, was born in Norcia in Italy um, in the 5th century. Uh, so this was a time when the Roman Empire was kind of falling apart. Uh, Christendom was in chaos, and Benedict's response to this was to to first retreat himself, and then to gather a community of people who lived by something that's known as the Rule of Saint Benedict. So this was a pretty exacting uh, <laughs> template for life. It told you when you ate, when you slept, when you prayed, when you were able to talk, when you kept silence, um, and it really uh, embodied this this idea of. Um, work and prayer as an integrated way to live. That's right. And there had been a community um, in Norcia for a long time. However, there has been a gap uh, there from around, I think, the 19th century to pretty close to present day. Um, but Father Pryor and the community, they're there. They're starting a new community. And so we talked to him a little bit about um, what, you know, we're all, we like to joke, we're all living like monks right now. So we look to um, this community for a little bit of monastic wisdom uh, in our second lockdown, so to speak. Yes. And we look not only to them for wisdom, but for our drink this week. <laughs> That's right. So one of the things that the monks of Norcia do is they they work, they, they work, they pray. But part of that work is brewing some really delicious beer. So this week, uh, Ashley is drinking some beer inertia, which I am jealous because my shipment is in New York. It's not just the snow that's making me miss New York, but the beer. Um, But I have had it before, and it's delicious. Yes. Um, And this beer... You know, it comes in pints, and it's it's a very hefty looking beer. I'm they make two versions: the dark and the uh, blonde version. And so I'm I'm uh, cracking open a blonde blonde ale, um, and I'm very excited to taste it. Yeah, well, I'm jealous. I'm drinking a spotted cow, which is only available in Wisconsin. I'm not in Wisconsin, but the last time my <laughs> father in law was there, he brought back uh, three cases of it, um, and it's a favorite of mine. So I'm drinking a. Spotted cow beer from New Glarus. So, right. uh, cheers. Cheers. And now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? 
So this week, Pope Francis decided that 2020 has thrown a lot at us, and it's time to call in uh, what I believe theologians call the big guns. Um, <laughs> 2021 is going to be dedicated to St. Joseph, uh, Pope Francis proclaimed this week. Right. So 2021 will mark the 150th anniversary of St. Joseph's being declared the patron of the Universal Church. Um, and in a apostolic letter that the Pope released on Monday, uh, he gave a number of ways that you can get a special indulgence uh, in the coming year. Yeah, so there are all the normal ways that you can get an indulgence, which we won't rehearse here. But some extra ways are— Should uh, we say what an indulgence is? Because I think a lot of people <laughs> think of that as something that caused the Reformation. <laughs> uh, it's a funny, funny old word, but it's we, we still believe in them. Surprise. Yes, and they are, they are certain spiritual practices you can do, uh, prayers or pilgrimages, of the, some things like that, that actually reduce the amount of time uh, you will, uh, you know— Pay for your sins in purgatory. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so if but you're we don't for sell time them off, anymore. No, no, we don't sell them, <laughs> but you can still obtain them. So if you're looking for some time off in purgatory, we have some extra ways for you this year. Um, Francis is uh, dedicated. If some, if people want to meditate on the prayer of the Our Father for at least 30 minutes, um, that's, that's an indulgence. Um, also taking part in a spiritual retreat of at least one day that includes a meditation on St. Joseph. Okay. And indulgences will also be granted to families and engaged couples who recite the rosary together and thus imitate the, quote, same climate of communion, love, and prayer lived by the Holy Family. Yes. And so, as Ashley mentioned, Pope Francis released an apostolic letter, um, don't worry. Uh, I know the people that were in our reading, our encyclical reading group are like, oh my God, another book length document from the Pope. This one is just a, a real letter. It's not actually a book length letter um, entitled Patris Corde, which is uh, the Latin for the heart of a father, um, which is this really beautiful meditation on why Francis wanted to make 2021 dedicated to St. Joseph. Um, he said that he had been you know, thinking a lot about Joseph uh, in the throughout the pandemic, and it's been on his heart to release a letter like this. Um, so I thought we could maybe just uh, we 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 Ashley and I have both briefly read this document. Um, there's a lot in it. Um, I'm curious, Ashley, do you have any one takeaway that you'd want to point out for listeners from that? Um, mine isn't really related to to the idea of connecting this to the pandemic, but there he does talk about that. And especially the way that, you know, St. Joseph is seen as um, someone we can look to as a, as an example of the dignity of work. Um, so that's very important and a good thing to pray about in the coming year. But I really loved the section on, on uh, a father in the shadows. We often hear about St. Joseph being hidden in the Gospels um, and how, you know, we don't hear that much from him. And I've always, I've, I've known that, but I've never ever, I've never thought about that as like a positive thing. Um, it more of just like an absence, like, oh, like we don't hear that much about St. Joseph. I guess he's really humble and just like let Mary take center stage. <laughs> um, but there's this, there's this line uh, when he's talking about uh, fathers respecting the freedom of their children. And he says, quote, a father who realizes that he is most a father and educator at the point when he becomes useless, when he sees that his child has become independent and can walk the paths of life unaccompanied. And I just, I would, that just struck me. Um, you know, if, St. Joseph had been like really insistent that Jesus follow in his footsteps and become a carpenter. Uh, we'd have a very different world right now. So, so seeing that the hiddenness of, of St. Joseph as, as really like an affirmative act of, um, of granting freedom to, 
to Jesus to fulfill his ministry. Perhaps, I was really struck by. Perhaps a patron of recovering helicopter parents <laughs> yeah. of sorts. Um, my takeaway uh, was similarly when, I mean, this story, this letter is about Joseph as a father. Um, and Francis writes about how Joseph is an, is an accepting father and, and husband. And there's this line that just totally gutted me where Francis says that I like to think that it was from St. Joseph that Jesus drew inspiration for the parable of the prodigal son and the merciful father. Um, and I was just totally wrecked by that. I mean, I, that, that is a parable that means a lot to me and a lot to Christians everywhere. And I have never considered that, you know, Jesus would of course be drawing on his heavenly father for that parable, but also his experience of a, of his, of his earthly father. Um, that was not something I had ever considered, uh, before when meditating on that yeah so great so definitely i would recommend reading this letter as zach said not too long um and it packs a spiritual punch all right what's our next story ashley uh the vatican took the world by surprise on monday when it announced that pope francis plans to travel to iraq in march of 2021 um he will be the first pope to visit this country and the vatican said that his program will take into consideration the evolution of the worldwide health emergency. Yeah, it turns out that Pope Francis can't even resist planning uh, <laughs> vacations that are probably going to get canceled anyway. Yeah. Uh, so this is, I. what do you think about this trip? <laughs> I, you know, it's obviously very noble, um, right? Because yeah. this is an important trip uh, for a lot of reasons, but it just, I, I sort of roll my eyes anytime anyone plans anything. Yeah in this day and age. Uh, and I'm, I guess this is no exception, right? I don't see any way that this actually gets pulled off. Yeah. And I think, and if it did get pulled off, I think, like you said, it's it's noble. Like the, the Pope has shown in his foreign trips that he's willing to put his own safety and security on the line. Like when he went to Central African Republic and he's, mm -hmm. and he's willing to do that again to, to, you know, turn the world's attention to the people of Iraq, especially the Christians who have suffered greatly over the past couple decades. Um, at the same time, it's not only his health that could be put in jeopardy. Um, you know, if, if he goes there and a, tracks large crowds it has the potential to create a super spreader event um in iraq there have been half a million cases of covid19 and 12,000 deaths so you know it's 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 an issue there and it's unlikely that they will be you know at the front of the line to get vaccines by march so it, it does seem like it's just yeah too big of a risk at this point yeah for sure and we we don't want to i don't know i, I like you said, we don't want to play this down. It is noble. And because like we said, this is a very, uh, it's an underserved and under uh, overlooked community and, and an overlooked Christian community. Um, and if you want to learn more about them, we, we did a show on this back in 2018 with our, uh, colleague, Kevin Clark, who did some reporting there. Um, so go back into Jesuitical's archives, check out Christians have been in Iraq for thousands of years. They might all be gone soon. What's our next story, Ashley? I know you're going to be excited to talk about this one, Zach. Uh, You've you've heard of Elf on a Shelf, yes? <laughs> yes, I'm very anti, which I don't think is mm -hmm. that is a hot take. <laughs> yes, okay, but what about Mary on the Mantle? <laughs> well, have you heard about it? <laughs> I have heard about it. Why don't you explain to our listeners what it is? All right, so this was it's a new doll created by uh, 
Erica Ty Campbell. She's the founder of a Catholic lifestyle products company called Be A Heart. She's created these dolls. They're not only for, for the Advent time, but she's adapted it for Advent. So they're cute little Marys that have different outfits. And the idea is that during Advent, you put Mary in different parts of the house doing activities like maybe praying or making baby clothes for the coming of Jesus. And uh, you can put little messages in her bag for kids to read that encourage them to do good works um, in the Advent season. So tell me your thoughts. Are you going to hate this as much as you hate the elf on the shelf? Uh, I'm, I'm very torn and I can already hear the, the choir telling me you're not a parent. <laughs> Shut up. You, you don't get to have an opinion on this. Um, I, 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 I want to acknowledge first some good things. Uh, Elf on the Shelf is bad, and this is meant to be a corrective to that, right? Elf on the Shelf is preparing kids for this weird surveillance state. Um, right, that- so the idea of Elf on the Shelf is that, you know, the elf is spying on you during in the lead up to Christmas and is going to tell Santa if you do something bad, which, yeah. Not a, a great... creepy. Yeah, and that just, like, I think engenders some weird attitudes for children towards god even uh right like they which maybe happens with santa anyway um and i think this is supposed to be a corrective to that um however i on the i also feel like this sort of leans into this weird animism a little bit because mary is a real person that you're supposed to have a relationship with and if she is a doll that is moving around the house um but actually i think what the bigger issue is is that um this could encourage parents to really try and take on too much during Advent, right? Um, This is a very well-intentioned gift, and it's clearly super popular. It's sold out. Um, So you can listen to all this and ignore it and go buy more for next (laughs) season. But, like, I think parents already have a lot to do, and the thought of putting together, like, a little diorama with Mary, like, in different positions, doing different things, that feels like that's a lot of work and stress, and that's going to be really tough, I think, for a lot of parents to do all of that and take in the... uh, the advent season the way you're supposed to all right i i mean that's maybe fair but i think a lot of people are pairing back this this advent season especially and they might be looking for fun things to do in the safety of their own home and if you're going to do something um this seems like a good option you know it's uh you're encouraging uh kids to have a relationship with Mary, even if it is a doll. You know, that's how children learn a lot of things <laughs> through toys and play. And at the same time, you know, getting kids to be nice to their siblings and do chores. <laughs> I think parents would welcome welcome the help there. Welcome a little more help from Mary in that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's probably true. So I guess we could end that with, you know, uh, Mary, please just help all of us be a little nicer and do a little more chores uh, this season and at the hour for deaths. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. Now stick around for our conversation with Father Pryor Benedict Nibikoff. Joining us from Norcia, Italy is Father Dom Benedict Nibikoff. He is the prior of the Monastery of San Benedetto in Monte in Norcia, Italy. Welcome to Jesuitical, Father Pryor. Thanks, Ashley. It's good to be with you. Wonderful to have you. Uh, so, Father Pryor, you're a part of the Benedictine monastic tradition, which dates back to the 6th century, uh, but the community you're a part of and leading now um, is relatively young. So, so what inspired a group of American men to pick up and settle in the birthplace of St. Benedict, I think it was two decades ago? That's right. 
Yeah, uh, good, good, uh, good question, Ashley. Uh, all of us come from backgrounds, very, very normal backgrounds. That is, uh, we may have had an idea of becoming a monk at, at, at some point in our life, but there was a correspondence between what Norcha was doing and and what we saw Saint Benedict doing. That is, everything was falling apart. The culture is falling apart. The church is uh, in very bad shape. And St. Benedict, in the midst of all of this destruction and what would seem a hopeless situation, where, where one would think the answer is activity, to go out and do something, did the opposite. Uh, he fled. And he fled to a cave and, uh, and really developed his life of prayer and his life of, of seeking God. And everything else happened after that. The men, the Americans who, who, who have left the United States to join Norcha, Saw uh, saw something similar. That is that everything seems to be uh, falling apart, and conventional wisdom would say, "Well, get out to a diocese or get out to an order where you can do something." But the men who came here thought, "Well, there's so many needs. How would I ever know where where to give my attention in that very needy world?" Can you can you explain a little bit more what you mean when you say everything is falling apart in in do you mean in the United States, in the world, in the church? Uh, yeah, all, all of the above would be fine. <laughs> the broadest way to describe that is the complete loss of the supernatural sense, uh, of a sense that there is something beyond the world that we see. From there, it isn't hard to see a breakdown in the fabric of families uh, and some of the more uh, obvious uh, Wounds to, to 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 family and, and and social structure, and of course, like abortion, marriage, divorce, these kinds of things, and more broadly, an absolute loss of orientation. Uh, that is, without God, it's it's normal that man looks for the things that are most appealing in in, in front of him. So, I think uh, all of us who have joined the monastery saw those appealing things. Perhaps we tried them. I can say for myself that as we we, we thought, well, maybe this will make me happy, and I'll try all of these different things. But either, either we learned l- learned quickly that 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 they didn't do it, or we supposed that if we if we went down that road, we we wouldn't be as happy as if we left that world to become a monk. So you're seeing the the world in a sort of spiritual disarray as you're describing it. Yeah. So how, how does how does a monastic life or a contemplative life respond to something like that? Or why why is that an appropriate response as opposed to as you said earlier maybe, you know, getting out and is the world thinks of doing something about it. Right. Uh, the first admission uh, that a man who becomes a monk has to make is that he is part of the problem, uh, that is that I am part of the problem that the disorder we see in the world around us is no different from the disorder that is in me. Rather, I have the same thing that everybody has, the consequences of original sin, um, fallen human nature, uh, weakness, concupiscence, all of these things. I'm, I'm just no different. And the man who becomes a monk comes to believe that the only one he can do anything about in the world, and the one he could do the most about, if he can do anything at all, is himself. And so he decides to put all of his energy into that one person to try and make himself more like Christ. And, and in that work, which is often painful and humiliating, 
I believe that, that, that there can and will be supernatural consequences to that life of conversion that we can never see. You might say graces uh, that overflow even to this present world for those outside the monastery. Let's talk a little bit about what that order looks like on a day-to-day basis. What does is, what is a, a monk's day look like? I feel like there's often this image of just like praying all the time, and I imagine there is a lot of that, right. but what else goes on? The, the traditional Benedictine motto of ora et labora, pray at work. St. Benedict nev- never actually used those words in that way, uh, but people have come to associate that expression with his life because it is this well-ordered mixture, uh, according to that idea, of of prayer and work. If, if anything, uh, there, there was a, a healthy element of study in that dynamic, which isn't mentioned in prayer at work, where a monk would spend... Uh, six six hours perhaps in liturgical prayer, but two to three hours a day in in, in lectio divina or, or study of sacred texts, which which opened his soul up to prayer. Uh, so our life is uh, is well ordered in 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 a military sense. Saint Benedict saw saw the monastery and used a lot of military terminology when he described the monks. Everything from sleeping in a dorm, a kind of military barracks where everybody does the same thing all all the time. That is, you do the same thing with the same people 24 hours a day. You sleep in the same room, you pray in the same room, you eat in the same room, you study in the same room. And then for more color, you might say what we do, then, then there's clearing of the forest, working in the garden, taking care of the animals, uh, and in our case, also brewing beer. <laughs> and, and what time does that day start? The the uh, our monastery and we're a little bit unusual in this. That is, we follow Saint Benedict lays out the horarium based on the sun. So actually, every day it is slightly different. All 365 days of the year. So on the longer nights where uh, monks would get more sleep. For instance, right now it's getting closest to the longest night of the year when the monks get the most sleep. We go to bed around six. 6 30 p.m and we get up around 2 a.m 2 a.m uh, 2 a.m <laughs> well I, i'm glad we got you at your most well rested <laughs> <laughs> um I, actually I, I i i do pretty well at about 4 a.m uh, uh, that 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 that's a that's a nice time of day uh, but um uh that that's that's kind of at the at the the peak of, of the most sleep and then come summertime the nights get shorter and shorter and shorter and the monks end up getting to bed around nine and still getting up around two or two thirty that that's mm. the uh, the summertime yeah so you you mentioned a word uh humiliating as the when describing like the experience of adjusting to this kind of life and i'm i'm curious about what happens interiorly with with this regimen like what is the hope that happens to your interior life when you're when you're living according to this very strict rule yeah the the humiliations would be all of those things which could be most identified in a way with the death that Christ had to face of um, abandonment by his disciples his friends the solitude some of the most intense interior, I mean, there's the physical, of course, the physical suffering that Christ had, and monks can have some of that. We do a lot of fasting. Uh, but the the harder, really, the harder humiliation, and it is the interior one, as you said, Ashley, the greatest humiliation is to realize 
we are not the man that we think we are. It is the one in which we can become the most lovable because God actually permitted all of that weakness and fallen fallenness, that imperfection, so that we might want to be loved <laughs> and seek to be loved by God. Whereas we tend to want to forget all of that because we think love is based on um, some kind of achievement. And, and while we do need to try to achieve and do good works and, and grow in virtue, his love of us isn't based on something that we we, we do or, or we deserve. Uh, and And Really, the more we come to see that we don't deserve it, uh, the easier it is to let him love us. So your community, Father Pryor, as we mentioned earlier, is relatively new, but Norcia had a pretty long-standing tradition of having a monastery there. Um, I'm curious if you could speak a little bit about what's it like to be in the town of Benedict's birth and what that, what that's, what that does to the, the spirituality of the place or um, yeah. in yourself. Sure. Uh, that is, it, it was fundamental in the forming of the community. Our community was founded in Rome in 1998, but we were invited by a series of providential events to take over the monastery at St. Benedict's birthplace, where there were monks, as, as, as you said, uh, more or less from the 8th century up until 1810. Uh, from 18, in 1810, the monastery was suppressed, and we, we reopened the monastery in the year 2000. We have a opportunities almost for a shallow word that is we have a, a blessing and a grace to know that the founder of the of what i might say and i'm not very unbiased the greatest uh, order of the church those are uh, fighting words on this podcast but we'll allow it for now i know <laughs> <laughs> um, the greatest let's just say the greatest founder before the 15th century maybe you'd prefer that <laughs> yes. um, uh, 16th century uh, that is he was born there and so so many so many monasteries have, have a blessing and that they have a history they were founded and 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 generations after generation after generation have passed down the rule and their interpretation of the rule, their understanding of the rule. That brings with it many blessings. It also brings with it some limitations in that in many communities you hear, well, we've always done it that way. We can't consider doing it a different way. Uh, we had the disadvantage of not having the many grandfathers that one finds in a, in a long-established community who say, no, you shouldn't do it this way because we've always done it this other way and maybe for a good reason. There's a disadvantage there, but we had a great advantage in that we could look at the rule, and this is what we did, and we said, why can't we live what's in here? That is, were the men that St. Benedict wrote this for so strange, so different? Have we evolved into this decrepit thing that you know, can't follow what St. Benedict calls a minimum rule for beginners? And we and so we gave the rule the benefit of the doubt rather than our interpretation of the one. So if it's in there, why shouldn't we try to do this? So can you give an example of like something that felt or that just like came across as very odd or like oh that must be tied to the sixth century? It's probably not relevant to us, but we're going to try it anyway. Yeah, the first thing, and our I'm, I, I, our founder really embarked on a very courageous path in trying this is is the fast that is Saint Benedict says that the monks should eat once a day from September 14th until Easter. And that that sounds like a, you know, a ridiculous thing. That is, who could possibly do that? And and uh, and, and we say a lot of things we, that, that we're not up to that as modern men anymore, even though in, in many ways as modern men we are more healthy 
than men of previous centuries. Well, we started trying it and uh, and found the physical effects to be quite good. That is, one feels a lot. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if to tell you or, or your your listeners this. There's a lot of research out there that is that fasting can be very beneficial to, to, to the to the body. Not to mention the soul. The body is just the, is less weighed down, and the soul is freer to contemplate, to think of, to think less about itself. It can. It is hard, and it can be hard. Uh, but uh, but it, with practice, it also becomes very normal. Many people in all parts of the world, people who are poor, don't have the luxury of eating more than once a day. So. There's also a very beautiful way that we we, we associate ourselves with them, and, um, who, are, who are suffering much more than we are. Uh, so that'd be one one example. The the, the fast, the dorm is another one. All, every, all of the monks sleeping in in one room. That that seems absurd. How 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 could we do that? Uh, but in fact, it is a great panacea, a great medicine to our modern culture. That is, all of us who join the monastery now are used to the word mine. My space, my this, my that, and and really nothing has become more precious to us than our our private space. And Saint Benedict thought, no, 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 no. That is, if we're going to die for Christ, die for God, the first thing that has to die is is my sense of my place. The monastery belongs to everybody, so a monk can't have his own cell. Yeah, living in New York uh, <laughs> with many roommates <laughs> has has had a similar effect on on me. Um, you mentioned how how the experience of hunger, um, in some ways, kind of put you in solidarity with with the poor who have who have no choice but to have maybe one meal a day. I'm wondering what other ways, um, while you're living this enclosed life, um, you're connected with the larger world. We we experience experience all the same things that everyone does outside of the monastery, especially the temptations. It is. It is true that we have put ourselves in a place that we have fewer distractions. So we are, we're not bombarded in the same way that some in the world are most obviously by certain temptations of, of the flesh. But once you take those away, you find that you still have all the same, same temptations and you have fewer, little, fewer things to distract yourself with. So we can and, and do sympathize even more with those who are fighting, fighting to grow in holiness, fighting to live um, spiritual lives and find themselves feeling like they don't make any progress. That is that that is a, a regular temptation to a monk to say, am I, am I making any progress? Is, is all of this worth it? The, the hardest thing is to accept that we, it's not our right to know the answer to that question. Uh, that is, we have to do what we're supposed to do and leave the progress to God and try not to look, let our right hand know what our left hand was doing. So that, and that, that, that means we, we we won't know the answer. Mm. You know, the pandemic is, a lot of people have, you know, said pretty, I mean, like, it's a cheap comment, but like, you know, we all live like monks now. And, you know, obviously that is not really true, but I think there is like a sense of like, people do feel deprived of things that they had been accustomed to, um, particularly like either whether it's community or maybe you're, you're sharing things that you didn't used to. Um, you've got lots of spouses that are now coworkers. Um, in the same yeah. space, for example, um, do you have any advice? Something that's like really stayed with you in like a time, a challenging time in this vocation that might be useful, um, maybe to the laity out out here. Yeah, uh, simple thing, but think twice, three times before you speak. Um, mm. The the my wife is going to love that advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is. 
the the passions always tell us that that there's a reason to say something. There's a reason to respond. I, I think more often we will we can make up for a, a word that was absent by saying something at the right time than repair a word that was said that didn't need to be said. Uh, and um, that that really j- just takes kind of falling on our face m- many times before we might learn that and i'm not i'm not there either so uh it's hard uh but uh, but on a day-to-day level when you're living close to people that you might not have expected to be living so close to so often even if if you can establish this even regulated periods of silence can help uh, the conversation when it's time to talk Hmm. does the rule have uh rules (laughs) about about silence are you are you it does what 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 are those Uh, a strict silence which would be hard for a lot of people in the world, I know, from evening until morning. Uh, so from after Compline until about seven in the morning, no talking whatsoever is allowed. The only exceptions are if the abbot has to, the prior has to deal with guests, people who have come from the outside and need some practical help. And during the day, it's uh, it should be a, a, a minimum, a, unless there's an assigned time for speaking, an assigned time for something like a, a recreation, uh, that is, that speaking should be limited to, to very specific places, to very low tones of voice, and not more than is necessary. Uh, in the monastic context, it's really uh, about offering to the other person the the space and the and and the privacy of soul to be able to contemplate God. That is to not to not invade someone else's space with something that I might think is important and might not really be. Mm. What what is there what is friendship in that context? Like do you do you do you consider your brother monks friends or or is it something different? It's a little it's different. Uh the the it it is possible, but the the best analogy would be what many people experience with their brothers and sisters. That is you you could consider a brother or a sister a friend, but you usually wouldn't call that the the first point of reference in the relationship. They're your brother uh, or your sister, and and even when there are elements of friendship, brother and sister, the duties and and the joys and some of the sufferings of brother and sister come first. So, it, it, in a monastery, that that would be similar. That is, the family is the priority. So there's a strong relationship to the spiritual father. And to the prior of the monastery, but a, spirit, a relationship of, of brothers amongst each other. Uh, it doesn't mean friendships can't grow, but it's usually problematic if a monk goes looking for one uh, or, or forgets that the primary relationship is a, is a spiritual one uh, because all of this is, is passing away and uh, my brother monks are here to help me to get to God, not to help me suffer through in a better way necessarily the present moment Mm. so i'm wondering if we could pivot a little bit to one of the ways that you're most materially connected to the outside world we've been talking a lot about the sort of the interior dispositions that connect us but um i first came in contact with you guys when someone in my uh parish men's group suggested that we order some beer um (laughs) for christmas and I, I do have to say it was delicious, and I'm wondering if you could just, you know, maybe tell us uh, how you guys got started brewing beer, and and, and maybe perhaps why. Sure. Uh, 
it started for 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 three reasons. First one is first one was uh, we liked good beer and we were poor, uh, so we couldn't <laughs> afford good beer. And we assigned one monk to begin to try to homebrew to make some beer that would be better than the beer we could afford, and uh, and and easy to do. He he did so a pretty you do good drink drinking. you drink your own beer then <laughs> we drink our own beer yeah perfect yeah. We 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 drink the ones that don't pass the quality control. So you can imagine there are a lot of those. Uh, we a bad label, bad cap. Uh, those those go to our refectory. Uh, is, it, but, is that the situation um, where someone just like um, tears tears a piece of the box and says, "Oh no, this is damaged. We can't send it out." That would never happen. Never, oh, monks okay. would never do such a thing. Right. No, no, no. Of never. course not. I'm sorry for suggesting such. Uh, so first thing was, yeah, we it was to to, to help really just to have a, a beer that we liked. Uh, we uh, th- this um, grew into something we'd known. So many monasteries historically have brewed beer, and we thought we can never do that. That is, those are the greats. That's Belgium. Uh, the, the, how could we ever do something like that? Those those are the Trappists. Uh, and someone gave us a chance, gave us a little bit of financial help, and and. Um, and we tried it, and 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 it seemed that we might we might actually be able to pull this off, and we need we we needed the financial help. So we thought, well, if we can actually do this, and if people if people might be willing to buy it, uh, this could really help support the monastery in in, in a productive way. Third thing, uh, more sentimental in a way, is that people would come to the monastery. And they'd want to take something home, and usually they'd want to take a monk home. Can you can you come home? Uh, our families often said things like that. You, know, you don't they, loan they them wanted out. to see us. We don't loan monks out oh. uh, as much as people. Some people would like, uh, but but we thought if we could give them something, something that we make, something that we do, it will. Uh, it's it's maybe you know as close as it gets to. Uh, to, to giving them a monk. And, and that was our thought. That is, uh, people buy the beer with different motivations, but some people seem to, to know that they're tapping into a tradition. And at various levels, they know that that tradition ultimately leads to God uh, and, uh, and his son and, and, uh, and, and that redemption uh, is involved in, in some way in, in that act. That is, he redeemed the world and and brought goodness to creation and and, and we only have to think of the, the wedding at Cana for a pretty obvious example uh, and in in a similar way the beer can help people to connect to god strangely enough i love that yeah so we're we're coming up on you know christmas here and i imagine there are many of our listeners who would love to to buy a gift for someone that connects to their faith in that deep way. So how can they do that? <laughs> and can you say the name of your beer for me? <laughs> sure. Uh, it's uh, it's now easy to do for the last couple of years. We've been exporting to the United States and you can buy it on our website. So the beer, the name of the beer is Bira. That's Italian. B-I-R-R-A. Nursia. N-U-R-S-I-A. That's all one word. Biranursia.com. Norcia is the Latin name for Norcia, where St. Benedict was born. And uh, and in America, you can have it shipped to your house in most states. I can attest it is a, it's delicious and well worth <laughs> order in bulk. <laughs> it's you, good. Zach. You're going to want more of it. Um, 
I don't know if you have any insight into this, but I've always just kind of wondered why the why monks are just traditionally associated with brewing beer. I mean, you mentioned that it, they're they're sort of like legends, right? That that have done this yeah. throughout the church's history. Uh, that is, there's a there's a historical reason about the beer that seems to have something to do with Lent. Uh, um, the 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 monks drinking eating less food in Lent and using beer to support support the diet. Uh, so when you're fasting, you can still have beer. Uh, no, <laughs> but, but apparently some monks did. I, um, oh, that's one of the innovations you you did away with. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we yeah um, we 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 um, it, it I don't know how they did it, frankly, because it it makes getting along with the rest of the day quite difficult if you drink our beer. I was going to say I just have to imagine if you're fasting and drinking like yeah. I mean, some of this stuff is like really high and rich in alcohol content. It I is. just have to imagine like all these monks are just kind of going around the day buzzed. That's right, happy monks. I mean that 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 might be nice, but be sort of yeah. We, we other things might suffer, so we we don't we don't do that. <laughs> So it was help. It helped with Lent and fasting, but are there are there other help with Lent and fasting? But the the thing about a monastery is that it can dedicate sort of all of its energy. That is, and this is one of the beauties of celibacy. That is, of course, there are beauties in marriage and and family life. But when when a man doesn't have a wife and children, he he devotes everything to what what's in what's what's in front of him. And as a monk, that means prayer and work. So monks. If you put 30 or 40 or 50 of those men together, they can perfect sort of anything that they're doing. And you have other examples of this, of champagne and, 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 prod, and, and agriculture. Uh, and so that is if, if, a, if a monastery spends enough time on something, which they often do, uh, then it is, you can usually be a very good product. You know, the abandoned brew at home kits in, in dad's garages <laughs> around the world are, are a testament to that, I think. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> they have other things to do. Good things to do. Yeah. yeah. Well, Father Pryor, uh, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your life, your work, um, and your beer. Um, I'm wondering, uh, we have one final question for you. Sure. Um, we ask all our guests this. If you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? Living or the, the, the difficult part of your question is that you said for li, living or dead. And, um, and so I have to, it, it's, it's a, um, it's a bit sentimental, but, uh, there is, I went to a boarding school run by Benedictine monks and there was a monk there. His name is Father Pascal Scotty, uh, a scholar, uh, a, a, a man of learning. Uh, but most of all, man of great love, and uh, and it was his example uh, more than so many other many good priests in my life too, uh, many many good priests. But as a monk, uh, it was his example that uh, that led me to become a monk. And he always told me not to don't become a monk, you'll be miserable. Don't become a monk, you'll be miserable. Uh, but I knew he was only half ha- half joking, and and uh, I think I. I I think someday that 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 might be his his fate. I, I hope it is, uh, but um, but he's a man who who did a lot for me and and has done a lot for those who have come in contact with him. There there are good priests and monks, despite so many obvious and embarrassing and awful situations that we all know about. There are still good priests and religious out there who who leave good examples and and lead men to God, and he was one of them. In his name, Father Father Pascal, you said? Yeah, Father Pascal Scotty. Yeah. 
Well, I'm sure he's praying for you um, in your vocation, despite his his, his warnings. <laughs> Father Pryor, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat with us today. Yeah, thank you. Happy to, Zach. Actually, good to talk to you both. Have a blessed Advent. Okay, likewise. God bless. Thank you. All right, now it's time for some housekeeping. First, we want to say thank you to the members of our Patreon community, uh, especially the newest member, Alana Brinker. Uh, We just wrapped up our first reading group for patrons uh, last week, and it was really, really wonderful. Uh, We had some deep discussions about Pope Francis's encyclical Fratelli Tutti, and we wrapped up promising to do it again. So if you want to get in on the next reading group, go over to patreon.com dot com slash America media. Um, and we thank you for your support. Yeah. And for this next thing, uh, we want to try something a little different for our last episode of 2020. Um, it, needless to say, it has been an awful year, but we know that in spite of all of that, uh, that there are consolations that have come along the way. And so for our last episode of the year, we want your help. So to do that, here's what we need from you. We want to hear about what consolations you've gotten. Maybe maybe just one. One consolation you had in 2020. Uh, record it on your phone in a voice memo or on your laptop, any other way. Keep it under 60 seconds and send it as an email attachment to jesuitical at americamedia.org. We're going to um, try to listen to all these, compile them together, um, and hopefully do something cool with them in a final episode for the year. So again, uh, one consolation, 60 seconds, Email it to jesuitical at americamedia.org. Speaking of consolations, it's now time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God in our lives this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? I do have a consolation this week. Um, I feel like I am not alone in this, but like any little thing can just sort of send me into a downward spiral of despair, um, whether that's just like uh, hearing that, So another person that I know and love is tested positive for COVID or like feeling like I, you know, walking out the door and forgetting the mask on the hook inside on the coat rack inside the door that will just like send me into this like, God, I can't wait until I don't have to do this anymore. Um, But this week I uh, was in a dark place and came across this viral Twitter video um, of uh, a 91 year old English man uh, getting one of the first vaccines in England. And it's this really, it's a, it's, he's being interviewed on CNN um, and he's just so matter of fact about everything. Um, but he says just like some really beautiful things. I don't think I feel about it at all, except that I hope I am not going to have the bloody bug now. <laughs> I don't intend to have it because I've got granddaughters and I want to live a long time to enjoy their lives. Yes, I don't intend to have it. Well, there's no point in dying now when I haven't lived this long, is there? <laughs> I didn't plan to anyway. You know, we talk, I, I feel like we, we shy away, or at least I do shy away from like allowing things I see on Twitter to be actual God moments. Um, but like, I was really moved by this because it was this like image of, uh, you know, there's an end in sight in a, in some ways to this, right? Like there are actual people somewhere in the world mm-hmm. getting vaccines. And 
there are still things that are going to be very hard and we should be angry about and frustrated about and sad about. Uh, that's not to deny all of that. But I also don't feel like I should be denying myself any any amount of hope that comes in whatever way it, it happens right now. Um, and Ignatius talks about, you know, storing up consolations for the desolation that comes. And if I'm predicting anything with uh, my life savings, it's probably that there will be desolations in the next couple of months. Um, and so I'm holding on to... Uh, the, this this clip of this 91 year old Englishman getting uh, one of the first vaccines. So that's my consolation this yeah. week. Uh, I love it. I couldn't stop smiling just hearing you talk about it. It's a great video. <laughs> All right. What's uh what's uh, your consolation to desolation this week, Ashley? Uh, I also have a consolation, a uh, rather simple one. Um, so I've developed a, a new routine uh, in quarantine and made it especially regular in this past couple weeks when I my my social life has been rather pared down. Um, I I FaceTime with my niece every day uh, when she's going to bed around six or six thirty. So this is great for a couple of reasons. One, when you're living alone, it's very hard to like know when your workday ends. It's like, oh, well, got nothing else to do. I guess I can just keep working. <laughs> but now I have a definitive stop when when Ellis calls me. <laughs> Um, but more, more than that, um, it's this moment where I, I'm being present to someone and, you know, I, maybe I'm projecting, but I think she really loves these phone calls and loves to see me. And, and it's not because of anything I'm, I'm doing. It's, it's not because I've done a lot of great work that day or I'm being productive. It's just because I'm there and giving her my attention and she's giving me her attention. Um, and it's just like, I don't know, babies are great for this. They they remind you that you're loved, uh, not for anything that you, you do or produce, but just because you're there and you are who you are, um, which is, I, I think how Eric would remind me what God is like too, but it's much easier for me to see it, see it in babies. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a daily consolation for me, and this time is is my daily uh, FaceTimes with Ellis. This is why people get dogs too, right? Like <laughs> the same thing. They just yeah. love you no matter what. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it helps that you've got a super cute niece too. It, it does help. She's the cutest. <laughs> and that's a really nice like in, incarnational uh, reflection because Christmas is round the corner. Mm-hmm. Yep. Don't have to wait for that, baby. <laughs> Very true. All right, get us out of here, Ashley. All right, Jesuitical is produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundra. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.